Today we're uh, going to continue the sermon series about asking for a friend. The idea that there are some uh, big questions that maybe our friends ask. Um, and honestly, in some moments, big questions that we are asking ourselves. Melissa got it started two weeks ago when she talked about the Trinity, what it is and why it's important. Next week, um, I'll talk about something that's probably going to get me into trouble a little bit. Um, does everything really happen for a reason? We'll wrestle with that together next Sunday. On July 2nd, we'll, we'll talk about uh, a different topic. Um, will God bless me if I live a good life? But today, we're talking about um, being accepted. And what does it take for God to accept me? Uh, and I will confess, weeks ago, when I began putting a few thoughts down on paper and, and thinking of, of passages that spoke about this, this, this seemed relatively simple in my mind. Um, but in the hours and moments leading up to right now, um, I've come to appreciate more and more how big of a question this is, how complicated it is. Um, how there are different passages in scripture that approach it and speak about it in different ways, that, that try to answer it in different ways. And, and I acknowledge that, that my personal theology about this may very well not line up with your personal theology about this. And, and I, I hope that's okay with you. Um, I'm okay with that. I hope you're okay with that. And I'm happy to, if I say something that, mm, Todd, I don't know about that, I'm happy to have conversations and just process it together because again big question complicated answers no no clear-cut um, way to move forward through it in some ways I do want to point out um, three passages of scripture really short um, parts in the Bible that, that address this question I'm not going to have time to get to these today so if this is a question you or someone you know wants to dig into I encourage you to write these down or type them into your phone um, and explore them a little bit more on your own because they all get at this idea of what does it take for God to accept me in a little bit um, different, uh, a different route than what I'm going to talk about this morning. For some of you listening to me right now, this whole idea, this whole question it maybe seem kind of silly. You know, for those of us that have been Christians for a long time, maybe part of a church, the church for years, um, our, our response is, well, Todd, I have no question, no doubt that God accepts me. Because I place my faith in Jesus as my savior and leader, because of what Jesus has done for me, I have the reassurance of knowing that I'm accepted by God. And that's a wonderful thing. We are so blessed to have that reassurance in our lives. But there are also many of us listening right now in this room or online and, and many other people in our community and in the world who this is a very real question for. It's, it's something that, that we struggle with in different ways. Um, this, this isn't, it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, an experience I had years ago when I was the campus minister at Lincoln University here in town. Um, as you know, most likely, Lincoln University is a historically black college, and after a couple of years of being campus minister there, our students 
decided, they, they told me, Todd, there's this national conference this year. It's down in Birmingham, Alabama, and we want to go to that. Something I'd never experienced before. It was the National Baptist Convention Student Conference. And we ended up getting a couple of, of van loads of college students and heading to Birmingham. And the moment I walked into the convention center with thousands and thousands of people, I very quickly realized, and I knew it going into it, but it was obvious that I was a fish out of water. You could count on one hand the number of people who looked like me, who had my skin color. Uh, you didn't even need all five fingers. It was less than that. And immediately, even without really realizing it, I, my thoughts went to, am I going to be accepted here? Am, am I going to be welcomed? Do, do, will I fit? And I, I'm so thankful. So many people went out of their way to come up to me and introduce themselves and shake my hand and say, Todd, we're so glad you're here. This, this is, it's great to meet you. And I, I share that story because in so many aspects of our life, being accepted is something that we all desire. Um, every time I have a meeting at work and there's somebody new in, in the meeting sitting at the table, I wonder, okay, is that person going to accept me for who I am, my dry sense of humor, my seriousness, my quiet nature? Um, I always wonder how, the, how they'll judge me, how they'll look at me. And I want to make a point that's not really the main point of the sermon, but I think it's so important for us as we strive to be God's people in Jefferson City and in the world. There are so many people today outside the church walls that, that might walk into this room or, or give this church a try, people online that might stumble onto this sermon, people even outside this, this experience that we might talk to at school or at work who are trying to figure out who God is and does God accept them. And for them, I, I hope I put this in the right words, the way we respond to them as a church and as individual followers of Jesus, they equate that to whether or not God accepts them or not. If, if we are able to be Christ's ambassadors and share God's love with them in a way where they feel, okay, I can be who I am. I can be accepted. I'm accepted by this church, by this person. The reality is they have, have an idea or at least a, an opening. Okay, God may really accept me for who I am. Now, I'm, I'm not going to get sidetracked this morning on, on the, the getting into the weeds about God's acceptance and God's approval. That's not what this is about. But I am convicted so, so strongly that I have the privilege and the opportunity as a follower of Jesus to let everybody I know that I run into, that, I, that God puts in front of me, that God accepts them for who they are and where they are. And I'll talk more about that in a minute, but I think that's important for us as a church, as God's people, to think about as we are called to share God's love and the message of Jesus with those around us in the world. So a question like this, a huge question, what does it take for God to accept me or, or does God accept me? Um, 
When I, when I begin wrestling with questions like this, I, I, first thing I do is I turn to Jesus. What did Jesus say about it? How did Jesus interact with other people in a way that, that in some way answers this question? And we're going to focus on, on the passage that Gary read earlier from Luke chapter 23. And this is a fascinating story to me because as Jesus hung there on the cross taking our place, there's these two strangers to Jesus, these two sinners, two thieves who are hanging next to him. They were each in the exact same situation, but their, their response to Jesus was, was so different. And for me, this, this really provides a lot of insight in, in what does it take for God to accept me and for God to accept us. Let's go back to verse 39 in that passage and think about the first criminal that's mentioned. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding Jesus and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And this, this is the, this first criminal. Um, we don't know anything about him, but we get a, an idea that even though he was crying out to be saved, He was just focused on himself. He was just looking to save his neck. He was, had some idea that Jesus, either he had heard stories or knew enough about Jesus, the miracle worker, that Jesus can get me out of this. But he approached it from a truly self-centered point of view. This word deriding in this translation is often translated blaspheming. In, in other translations. And just by definition, to blaspheme means to reject God. So on one hand, with his words, with his mouth, he was saying, God save me, Jesus save me. But in his heart, he's saying, God, I reject you. I don't, I don't believe in you. I don't want any part of you. Just get me out of the situation. It makes me think a little bit about those things we see in movies or, or we laugh about sometimes when we get stuck in a sick, sticky situation and we look to God God, if you deliver me from this, I'll name my firstborn son Jesus, or I'll go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life, or I'll do whatever it takes, God, if you will get me out of this situation. Um, and that's kind of the, what the, this thief was doing. He just was focused on himself and saving his own neck. But then the second man speaks up, the second thief, again, in the exact same situation as the first thief. But in verse 40, we read, But the other thief rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Two things about this man's response that are vastly different from the first man. His, his last words there, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. The, the second man seemed to understand there's more to life, there's more to existence than just this moment. Even though he knew he was likely taking his last breaths here, he knew there was more. And, and he had some sense, some awareness that God should be a part of that more, that Jesus had the ability to to make a difference and to provide true salvation, eternal salvation in that sense. 
But at what the man first said, as he was responding to, to the, the first thief, when he said, do you not fear God? That phrase, fear God, is found throughout scripture. The old Hebrew scriptures, as well as the New Testament, again and again and again, over 300 times, this phrase in, in different ways is, is a part of scripture. Fear God, set this second man apart from the first man. I remember when I was little um, coming across those words and just really struggling with them. God supposedly loves me. God desires to be a part of my life and to help me. Why should I be terrified of him? Why should I fear? Why should I cower before God? And of course, the, the meaning here is much, much deeper than that. When we see the word fear, we think of, of cowering and terror and, and true fear. But, but the meaning here is much uh, more holistic, much fuller than that. There is this healthy fear of realizing that God is worthy of, of my respect and, and all the things that God is beyond me. And that's really, I guess in my own words, that's the way I look at it. The, the realization that God is God, exalted, above me, elevated, everything that I cannot be. And in my relationship with God, I am down here. And, and, and there's this acknowledgement, God is God and I am not God. And the second thief seemed to understand that. And in this fear of God, he, he acknowledged God for who he really was. He acknowledged that Jesus, as God's son, had the opportunity, had, had the ability to make him right with God, despite his past, despite his, his um, condemnation as a thief. He did truly fear God. And that led to these powerful words that I, I, I can't imagine, but in verse 43, how this story finishes up, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So, so from this story, as we wrestle with what does it take for God to accept me, um, I wonder if, if the simple answer is it starts with us accepting God. The first man in the story, the, the first thief, he didn't accept God for who he was. But the second man, he feared God. He realized who God was, who Jesus was. And because of the second man's realization, acknowledgement of that, Jesus was able to work in his life. Jesus accepted him and, and, and took him and, and brought him into paradise alongside him. As I got to this point in, in preparing the sermon, I, I begin to think about what it is in our lives that sometimes make it hard to fear God, make it hard for us to accept God for who he is. It, it kind of comes back to the Ecclesiastes 3 passage that, that we read together earlier and that was sung about, the, the different seasons in life. And uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, is for me, is it is really hard sometimes to fear God or to accept God um, when we have lived lives where we have some very deep regrets. 
where we have sinned, we've made mistakes, we've hurt ourselves, we've hurt others, and we have baggage, we have maybe some darkness that we just have pushed down and, and try to hide. That can make it really, really hard to fear God or accept God. Another stage in life where I think that that is true as well is uh, thinking back to my years as a teenager. Kind of that rebellious streak many of us have lived through. And you don't have to just be a teenager to hit that rebellious streak. But that, that kind of internal feeling of I've got to prove myself. I've got to be my own person. I've got to do things on my own. Um, that all somehow is, is within each of us in some way. And that can sometimes make it so hard to fear God, to accept God for who God is. I also thought about those folks um, who, who, whose trust is broken by someone they love. Either they're victimized or they're hurt or they're abused. And how, because their trust is broken in someone who, who should have been better to them, um, they, they can't bring themselves to trust God, to, to accept God for who God is in their lives. In some ways, that makes it really hard to fear God in that sense. And then finally, the last thing I, I thought of, um, I don't know if this will make sense to you or not, but I think it's, it's hard sometimes to fear God when we are successful, when things are going well, when things are falling into place, there's something, at least in my life, where my pride kind of puffs up, my ego gets bigger, and why do I need to fear God? I've got life figured out and under control. But it seems like the reality, no matter what stage of life we're in, what season, um, for God to accept us, it requires us to accept God for who God is. And then I began thinking about something that I haven't heard talked about since seminary. Um, I was introduced to a, a theological principle in seminary, and maybe I've slept through some sermons since then. I've missed it, but I've never heard this talked about in church before. Um, it's, it's a concept that was first uh, discussed and introduced back in the 4th and 5th centuries by some early church fathers. Um, Augustine of Hippo, St. Ambrose were two, two of the men that kind of began talking about this and writing about it. Um, in more recent times, even though it was still many years ago, in the 1700s, John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, talked about this frequently. And, and it's this concept of prevenient grace or he also, Wesley also talked about it as preceding grace. And on the screen, you can see the Latin that it's derived from. I won't attempt to pronounce that, but it's this, this idea of grace that precedes us coming to God. It's God's grace that is active in our lives before we make a commitment to follow Jesus. It's, it's this idea that it's, it's not all on us to turn ourselves to, 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 to come to God. It's, it's that God cares about us so deeply and wants to have a relationship with us so much that God's spirit is reaching out to us before we ever begin thinking about turning to God. 
If I think about that with, with uh, the story um, we read earlier about these two men on the cross and thinking about how both of those men, God's spirit was working in their lives. God was reaching out to both of them. God gave both of them a face-to-face opportunity to find true salvation, true meaning in life. And one missed it because he was just focused on himself. And one got it because he acknowledged who God truly was and he accepted that. And he experienced true salvation as a result of that. And, and for me, that's, that's the ultimate thing. When, when we follow through and accept God for who God is and God welcomes us into the life that he has planned for us. That's, that's when life truly becomes rich and meaningful. And it's not just about me. It's about being a part of what God is doing in my life in this in- entire world. And the privilege and the joy that comes with that is just amazing. So as I wrap this up this morning, I, I hope that we may have thought together about a glimpse into what does it take for God to accept me, to accept you, to accept everyone we know. And for me, the starting point is, is acknowledging God for who God is. And that opens the door for God to step into our lives and do things that, that we maybe never imagined or never have experienced before. Please pray with me. God, we're so thankful that you're present with us this, in this moment. And no matter where we are in our journey with you, in our relationship with you, that you are active in our life, that your grace extends into our lives, that you accept us for who we are, despite our pasts, despite our presence, despite what's going on in our lives, you desire to know us and be with us and walk through this world with us. We thank you so much for Jesus who showed us the way. And Lord, help us all to turn to Jesus, to accept you for who you are as you accept us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.